0: Anyway, it's my pleasure to introduce to you uh, Dr. Trevor Cragen. Dr. Trevor Cragen is a man who has described himself as someone with a South African accent, a German driver's license, a British passport, and American credit cards. So (laughs) it's a man who's very fitting that we have such an international man at an international conference. I have the privilege of studying under him at the Master's Seminary, and during his theology classes, there were three things that I thought to myself I admired about him. One... he was a very thoughtful man. He didn't necessarily care about rope memorization, but true understanding of the theological concepts. And I remember his tests were not necessarily geared around rope memorization, but actually around processing and understanding. And really at the end of the test, it had a rare ability for me to have even a greater understanding of the content than I did before I took the test. So it's very rare that you can come across such a... I attest it's as edifying as that. Secondly, uh, I've always admired his quiet passion uh, for the truth. He's a very soft-spoken man, but deep, y- you can tell just by his eyes, how much he really believes the truth of God's Word and stands by it. And thirdly, I've always admired his beard as well. <laughs> I've often thought to myself, I would grow such a beard if I could, but for some reason I doubt it would look as good on him as it would on me. So... Or it looks good on me and, well, never mind. (laughs) Sorry, Dr. Cragen. In in my own imagination, it looks beautiful. So if you would, please join me in welcoming uh, Dr. Cragen.
1: Well, thank you, Dave. The reason why I grew the beard is just two reasons. One, because when I have to go out at night, I have to shave again. Because I have a dark beard. And if pictures are going to be taken, there's one thing that comes out on the picture in the evening, and that's the black stripe across your face. looks like you haven't shaved. And second, I was doing some research while living in Europe on the development of liberty of conscience and freedom of religion. That put me in touch with Anabaptists. And of course, I found this style beard, so I decided to try it, just to see what it would look like. And I got my wife's permission. (laughs) My daughter-in-law liked it so much, she wouldn't allow me to shave it off for the wedding. So it stuck. And good morning to you all. And what I just did is what a Romanian told me not to do. I'd been speaking in Romania a number of times, and I'd gotten to know this man, and I would greeted the audience. Good morning, everybody. And he came to me afterwards, and he said, don't do that. That's not culturally correct. We know who you are. We know what you're there for. You've come to speak, so go up to the pulpit, open your Bible, and start preaching. So that's what I'm going to do. Most of us can remember a book or two that whetted our appetites for missions or sparked a desire to be on the field. For me, it was A Thousand Miles of Miracles in China, a book that stirred me deeply, even as a teenager. Pastor C. In fact, I was looking for that book yesterday, and my wife reminded me I loaned it to somebody, And forgot to note down who's taken the book. And it's a book about a Confucian scholar who became an opium addict who came to Christ and became a leading pastor about the time, sometime after Hudson Taylor. Or Homer Dowdy's Christ Switch Doctor stirred the emotions, made us think about missions. Or Peace Child, Eternity in Their Hearts green Leaf and drought. and I'm sure you can add to the list or there would be those special events that God has used to stir young men and women to the mission field like the Orca Indians murdering the five in Ecuador the memorable quotation from Jim Elliot he is no fool Who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose? Incredible statement. You know as well as I do that when you think of missions, you think of men and women who spent and were spent for Christ. It's to recall the names of the great statesmen and stateswomen of the mission field Hudson Taylor. I'm sure you remember what he's well known for in terms of a statement made. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Oh, God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. David Livingston, the great explorer by the missionary, C.T. Studd, a name that I would remember because C.T. Studd had promised for being one of England's greatest cricketers and gave it up for the mission field to the chagrin of his family. He couldn't understand why somebody of the nobility would go to Africa as a missionary. Robert Moffat, who stood Livingston. Robert Moffat, so well known for the statement when I look to the vast plains in the north I sometimes see in the morning sun The smoke of a thousand villages Where missionaries have never been It was a pioneer field in his day an Iron Judson William Carey Expect great things from God Attempt great things for God Mary Slessor Amy Carmichael Gladys Aylwood, closer to Ade Vigia Olsen, and many more that can be added to the list. I jotted down just a few. Remember the names John and Betty Stam? Most of us perhaps were not alive at that time, but you've remembered their names. William Cameron Townsend, John Praying Hyde, Jonathan Goforth, Lottie Moon, Samuel Swimmer, Peter Danica, Paul Freed, and one that we probably remember because of events that took place not that long ago, Ronnie Bowers, the young wife that died when the Peruvian fighter plane, shot down the missionary aircraft. You remember these, they come to mind, plus a whole host of others that you know and that I know whose names may never be mentioned in the history books of missions that we all get to read but whose names have gone down in the annals of glory because they've served the Lord you know that Ruth Tucker's book From Jerusalem to Erie and Jaya Biographical Missions History of Missions has become a favorite source of reading sterling stuff stirring stuff These were men and women who, in the name of Christ, took and still take the message of Christ across the empty tomb and salvation to regions near and far, to their Jerusalem, their Judea, their Sumeria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. To be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ, they willingly separated themselves from family, friends, home countries, cultures. They forded rivers. Crossed mountain ranges, traversed oceans and deserts, plunged into jungles, entered unfamiliar cities and regions, learned new languages, adapted to foreign cultures, endured suffering, neither gave their lives in ministry or gave their lives fully to their ministry. There's a reminiscence here of the Apostle Peter's conviction on their part. For they answered the identifying question, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In effect, that's what they did, and they also added the words that you find in John 6. You, Lord, have the words of eternal life. And with that throbbing and resonating in their hearts and minds, they caught the individual impact of the great commission upon their own lives and gladly pursued that mandate go into all the world and make disciples and they did and they do they knew that without a preacher without an evangelist without the gospel being presented ears would never hear the good news of salvation now when you've studied history of missions and when you think of those missionaries and even think of missionaries today when you've read about indigenization and contextualization cultural adaptation language learning techniques felt needs strategies for self-governing self-supporting self-propagating self-educating churches when you've read everything about dynamic teamwork and, and it's interesting and intriguing I think you come down however to just two things if I may be so bold as to say that for all these missionaries that I've mentioned and the ones that you know and have read about and you look at their ministry they have this in common they strongly sensed a God given open door for ministry and they displayed a courageous heart to stay with the task regardless of the consequences and I want to introduce you to what I've called two valuable measuring qualities of the effective missionary that inspires us to serve to support and to pray I think they are enduring qualities, if not endearing qualities. I've called them measuring qualities because when you look at missionaries who serve God, you get their measure. You understand their commitment and their conviction. First of all, from First Corinthians 16, verses 8 and 9, First Corinthians 16, verses 8 and 9, I'm going to, Stick this in my pocket and let you give me the signal. First Corinthians 16 verses 8 and 9. Paul is writing to the Corinthians and told them that he would, hopes to be with them. And he says, But I shall remain in Ephesus until Pentecost a wide door for effective service or a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries intriguing statement in its context the first valuable measuring quality is this missionaries serve alertly with sense and sensibility. They serve alertly with sense and sensibility. It may be the closing chapter of the letter with its little tidbits of information, greetings to certain individuals, wrap up statements, references to teammates or apostolic representatives, but there are always remarks in these closing chapters, and this one is very clearly that, comments that are made which are very instructive to us as believers. In the context of this very real desire for ministry in Corinth, you realize that the apostle is thinking ahead. If the situation calls for it, then him and the representatives from Corinth will go to Jerusalem they talked about it they assessed they evaluated they were thinking of the things that needed to be done he was looking at his itinerary looking at the needs looking at what should be done but one thing on the calendar was fixed this would not be shaken there was nothing that could cancel this but no, no double booking would be allowed and if there was a double booking Macedonia overrode all other considerations he said here in verse five, I am going through Macedonia. There's some thinking taking place, an assessment of the current situation. It's what he was doing. Looking at time, place, need. Strategizing, if you like. Setting the itinerary in place. He makes it very clear to the Corinthians. He says here in verse 7, For I do, do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. I like that little reminder that this is in the providence of God, as to how things would work out. If the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. It looked like the itinerary was going to be spring in Ephesus, summer in Macedonia, winter in Corinth. See, the situation was such that a fly-by-night visit was not going to be enough. He knew what needed to be accomplished at Corinth and knew it would take some time. So just a quick in, hi, how are you guys doing and a flyer, was not going to accomplish what needed to be done in Corinth. But he needs to stay in Ephesus. So he looked to them to send him on his way, sought their approval, as it were. And said, I'll spend some time with you. Serving with some sense, wouldn't you say? Some sensibility to what was needed. Real desire to be at Corinth. But here's a significant reason for staying in Ephesus. For a wide door for effective services open to me. And there are many adversaries. The potential for ministry was so obvious no other decision could be made seizing the opportunity to stay right there was the most sensible thing to do in fact an assessment of the circumstances mandated that he stay there to leave Ephesus was to abandon the open door God had so clearly given you catch the significance there he understood that God had given him a ministry in Ephesus And to walk away in order to be with Corinth or to get onto some other itinerary, to be distracted from that, was wrong. Stands wide open. Whatever the potential was, Paul saw it. This is the great opportunity to serve God. Let me interject at this point and say this. A good missionary, and I'm speaking out of Experience and wide travel in Eastern and Western Europe, meaning with many missionaries and national pastors. A good missionary is always sensitive to what's going on on his field. If he isn't effective, it's because he's spinning his wheels and is not assessing what's going on I'm sure that doesn't apply to any of the company here at all good missionaries are sensitive to what God is opening for them to do alert I think it's an open door in the eyes of the beholder though Because not everybody agrees that the door is open. I sometimes wonder if... And and I was wondering about it again this morning as we were driving down the freeway. If the burden that certain men and women get for a certain field and a certain kind of ministry is not their way of explaining to you, I sense... That this is an open door for effective ministry that God is providing and I'm in the right place at the right time. I've got to move forward. Examples in Grecian's history abound of those moving forward, believing God had called them to a particular specific place. Or people. Think of the stories of the Mok people, the Dani people, the Taliabo. Or those who've reached the unreached people groups have gone into different parts of the first world western countries because of a burden and a need to go i have a friend a missionary in germany for years he didn't put it this way but this is my description of the way he explained it he resisted the lure of eastern europe for one reason and, and I say that because there were quite a number of missionaries with good reason, I'm not criticizing it at all who left France or Germany or Spain or Italy and after their furlough went back into one of the Eastern European countries because they, they looked at what had been happening where they were serving and the hardness of Western Europe and saw the reports of the open doors in Eastern Europe and made the switch he said I'm not going to do that I'm going to stay here and plug away at my work here in Germany because I believe that's where God wants me to serve and he was vindicated years later because today and we know this area there's a thriving church that has been planted well established well known in the town and already supporting missionaries that have gone into Africa and into the Czech Republic He was vindicated Not everybody could see what he saw What he sensed The right thing for me to do is to stay here And plug away at the ministry Because God has given me a door For an effective ministry And he did And I've got other examples And time forbids But certainly with the The wall coming down And the iron curtain being ripped aside Opportunities for service In Eastern Europe Can't be ignored. Some of you may know that a number of mission boards took their, actually transferred their experienced personnel from other fields to the Eastern European countries for good reason because they they needed help immediately. But notice this statement at the end of verse 9. Yeah, we're doing fine. I'm keeping an eye on this. I I say that because I was speaking up near San Jose a couple of weeks ago and they they didn't have a clock in in the right place. And I I'd left my watch behind. And my watch is a standard dial. So I'd, I'd learn to immediately see the hands and calculate where it should be when I finish. Some guy loaned me an old Timex with the digital, what do you call it, display. And I remember looking at it and putting it on and promptly forgot what I'd looked at. And a little while later I began to realize that I should have looked at the numbers. So I'm very conscious of it today. (laughs) you know something's gone wrong when they change the tapes in the <laughs> <laughs> you've gone over this is an amazing statement and there are many adversaries open door adversaries doesn't compute not in my background and the way I was made to think, or perhaps thought without thinking too much about what was being said. If there's an open door, there's no resistance, no opposition, straight through, wham, blessing. If there's opposition, you've walked through the wrong door, is the impression that I had for years. It's an amazing statement. You mean you assess that God has given you a ministry? But there's opposition absolutely it's almost as though he anticipated an objection to his assessment so it says there is going to be this overt resistance now whether it was Jewish or Gentile false teachers that were harming the church or whether it is cultural and pagan religious philosophy in opposition or practice in opposition that's besides the point for now the that, the point I want to make this morning is that adversarial environments are a reality of the mission field. We all need to realize afresh that every segment of society, town, and country will have its opposition to truth. In some places, it will be far more intense than in others. But listen, when Christ is preached in all his uniqueness, as the only Savior of the world, when He's the only way, the truth, and the life, when you proclaim His uniqueness, reaction is inevitable. It's either positive or negative. There will be a reaction. There's only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved and that's what we preach. And there could be opposition. Acts 19 of course shows in Ephesus there was indeed opposition because the pagan craftsman's welfare was at stake if they could no longer sell their miniature silver shrines of Diana or Artemis. So stay with the idol and down with Christianity but one would hardly say that the ministry in Ephesus Ephesus was a failure opposition yes, stimulated Paul to stay and fight wide door many many opponents doesn't matter serve God but you'll remember that in another place the sensible thing to do was what? leave the city get out of the way the best thing to do prevailed in that that circumstance he instructed the Philippians not to be frightened by their opponents in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 28 he told them not to be alarmed by their opponents I I, I jotted down a few interesting stories here but I'm going to leave them aside you can talk to me about them later (coughs) But sometimes the most sensible thing is to leave. I remember I'll just tell you quick a couple of sentences. Friends of ours went into Mozambique. Actually on the flight over from New York to Johannesburg, Mozambique fell into communist hands. Six months later, after wandering around Johannesburg trying to figure out what to do, they went into Mozambique and set up home, certain part of the country they hadn't been there very long when the local communist military commander came to them and said he, for some reason he took a fancy to him. He, he was not interested in Christianity at all he came and he said pack your bags and get out of here you better leave, I'm telling you, you better leave it would be to your safety and your children so they listened said the Lord has obviously indicated providentially something here They threw their bags in the station wagon and rode off down the road about 24 hours ahead of a major communist clampdown that brought quite a bit of heartache and turmoil to that region. That was God indicating that the sensible thing to do was to leave. Could have been the other way. But there's a sensitivity. So the first is They serve alertly with sense and sensibility. Take it further in your own thinking. Let me turn you to a second passage of Scripture, and we'll summarize this. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verses 25 through 30, section dealing with Epaphroditus. And I put it like this. An effective missionary is one who displays selflessly the badge of courage. They display selflessly the badge of courage. Epaphroditus, I think, is a true representative of a missionary heart. On assignment for operation, Paul was this envoy from Philippi, Philippian representative. Verse 25, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger and minister do my need because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick for indeed he was sick to the point of death but God had mercy on him and not on him only but also on me lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you Therefore receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ Strike, stake risk in his life to complete what was deficient in your service for me. Here was one who was your messenger commissioned envoy be a good translation minister to my need see Epaphroditus had been sent by his home church specifically to take the gift that the church had collected to Paul and then to stay on as their hands and their feet and their eyes to serve Paul at his disposal now the time has come to send him back as the mailman but notice something in verse 26 it says that Epaphroditus was longing for them he was homesick he was yearning the word actually has the idea of heartache or pain I think Paul had heard his prayers heard his words, seen his heartache communication was somewhat sparse in those days but he was homesick what aggravated the situation and this is not as silly as it sounds by the way is that he had heard that they had heard that he was sick and that they were now worried about him. So he became worried that they were worried. He worried about them because they were worried about him. And it was somewhat stressful. Now, in an age of instant messaging, we don't catch this. When communication was sparse and it took a long time for a letter to get from the other side of the empire to where you were, you have to think of the old missionaries of years ago when they found out six months after that father or mother had died or something drastic had happened in fact there's a letter found of a second century soldier writing to his mother remarking that he was now worried that she was worried about him having been so sick it's not a silly thing at all but I want you to notice this and you could say a few more about some of the other things in the verse but I'll just put it like this He was homesick but he stayed on until He didn't go to Paul and say I resign <coughs> I, I, I gotta see Philippi I miss my friends I miss my family I miss the routine I miss the sights sounds and smells of Philip I want to go home put me on the next chariot he stayed so much so look at verse 30 he completed what was deficient in their service he served with such zeal and diligence he did the job it was well done and as you read through that portion of scripture realize that on operation on return from operation Paul was a proven envoy a man to be esteemed proved himself to be a brother in Christ a fellow worker part of the team more than that he was a fellow soldier together in the ranks of those who served and faced the conflicts of missionary life a common bond, a common labor, a common danger had been faced a camaraderie had developed and so they were not to be disappointed he'd done the job the way it should have been done you know I don't think that and we'll close a couple of comments on this I don't think that Epaphroditus set out to obtain the MVM award Not the MVP, but the MVM award, the most valuable missionary. But he got it. Homesick, (coughs) stayed by the stuff. (coughs) Served so well. But even after a major crisis, and by the way, this is very interesting in verse 30. Came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life. Until Paul used this term in the Greek language, it it was not in the language. He coined it from a gambling phrase, staked his life, is the combination that Paul put together. It's used in a second century inscription near the Black Sea of someone daringly exposing himself to danger that's what he did and even after I I don't know what that means overtaxed himself brought about weakness or whatever but even after a near fatal sickness and a crisis he stayed at the post didn't allow it to debilitate it his life like this courage and perseverance in the pursuit of mission doggedly fulfilling his mandate undeterred by adversity and adversary, doing his best to fulfill the expectations of those who commissioned him. Two valuable measuring qualities of an effective missionary that stir you and me to serve, to support, and to pray. They serve alertly with sense and sensibility Listen, and you'll hear it. And they display selflessly the badge of courage. Listen, and you'll hear it. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for those who commission men and women to go to the field. Thank you for those who serve on that field sacrifice made to be sure life different from what it is back home but you've put a burden on their hearts you ultimately give them a love for the people where they go and then in your providence you give a door wide open for effective ministries even though there be much opposition. Pray for these men and women that, that are here, that represent much endeavor on the fields of the world. Ask for your singular hand of blessing upon them, strengthening in the inner man for the daily tasks. And thank you for this church stands behind them in support and prayer. That's of you too. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.